We have been, through the course of the year, going through the topic of knowing God. Probably the most important topic that we could ever discuss, that we could ever study, that we could ever know. God is the most important subject. And I don't mean that just as a topic, as in a, a course, but as an individual. He is the most important person that we could ever come to know. And so as we've discussed it, we know that knowing God it is the foundation, it is the basis of eternal life. As Jesus Christ himself has says, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Hunter, can you turn up the lights for us? Okay. And so as we have considered this um, throughout the year, we have looked at the existence and the exclusiveness of God, that God is and that He is the only God. We have considered the composition of God, that He is three and yet one, and that we have begun to look at the, natural, the, the attributes of God, looking at His natural attributes, His vocational attributes, and right now we are in the midst of looking at His moral attributes, and we have discussed His holiness, we have discussed His love, and last week we began to look at the faithfulness of God. And as we looked at the faithfulness of God last week, we considered His faithfulness, first of all, looking at Him and what was the definition of faithfulness, and that was to be worthy of trust, to be trustworthy, or to be dependable, to be reliable, to, um, or to be able to, someone to be able to place their trust into. And then we looked at the expression of His faithfulness in His words, that He will be faithful in what He says, and that He'll be faithful to, to what He says, and that He's also faithful in His relationships. And He displays that to us in his faithfulness by disciplining us, by punishing uh, or disciplining his children, by protecting his children, and by forgiving his children. That God is faithful and just in all of these things. That God doesn't change. He changes not. He is the same yesterday as he is today, and he will be forever. But as we have looked at holiness, and as we have looked at love, and I've told you that as we look at these moral attributes of God, that we are going to, after we look at these attributes in God that we want to come back and consider the application that it is to ourselves. And so we want to look at that toward ourselves today. And the first um, place that we want to look at that in the application of God's faithfulness in my life, and that is that the consideration of God's faithfulness should provoke me with a desire to what? To worship God. Now that's going to be the same thing. I hope you've noticed that this is a little bit redundant, that as we considered the holiness of God, we, we looked at this and we saw that that, it, that the consideration of God's holiness should provoke us with the desire to worship God. And as we looked at the love of God, the first thing we looked at in this application was the consideration of God's love should provoke us to, to worship God. Well, it's the same thing here, that the consideration of God's faithfulness should provoke us to worship God. That as we look at God, as we examine who He is, as we see how He acts, as we see how He, he deals with His children and with people in general, it should always lead us to a desire to, to glorify Him. Well, in this worship, it's going to be expressed, first of all, by our, by our praise. Turn with me to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. We have a lot of passages again today that we want to look at. So in Psalm 33, looking at verses 2 to 4, we read, Praise the Lord, praise Yahweh with the harp. Make melody, melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of Yahweh is right, and all His work is done in truth. That word truth is our word for faithfulness. It is, it is that word that we have been looking at, Elmain, that it means to be done faithfully. That God's work is done faithfully. Again, as we looked last week um, at Psalm 89, and we saw that when God made the covenant with David, that he said that as he has sworn it, he will not, not alter the thing that has gone out of his mouth, but as he is faithful to the ordinances of the, of the moon, so he will be faithful to his promise to David. Well, God's works are done in faithfulness. And because of that then, we ought to have the desire to, to praise him to sing praise to Him. It ought to give us the desire to be able to start making melody in our heart to the Lord. 
So, as we go through these verses, I challenge you to think about it. Do you? Is this something that you meditate upon? Is this something that you consider? Do you consider the, the works of God and, 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 and give Him glory and praise for His faithfulness to you? Regardless of your faithfulness to Him. Turn to Psalm 36, verses 5 to 7. Psalm 36, verses 5 to 7. Your mercy, Yahweh, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Yahweh, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. So the psalmist begins to declare the praise of God in all of his attributes. And as a result, then we're going to see this in a moment as we go to it as well, but just to pick it up here, that after this this time of worship and after this time of reflection, he says, not only are we going to praise you, but we're going to do what? We're going to put our, our trust in you. We're going to place our faith in you as well. Psalm 89, 1-8, was our Bible reading this morning. Turn back there. The contemplation of Ethan the Ezraite. And Ethan the Ezraite declares, beginning verse 1, I will sing of the mercies of Yahweh forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. In the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to Yahweh? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to Yahweh? God is greatly to be feared in the assemblies of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Yahweh? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. And so the faithfulness of God is there, and it is the faithfulness of God that is the desire for us to be able to worship and praise God for who He is. Because of His faithfulness, not only to the children of Israel, but His faithfulness also to His servant David. And again, as we bring that back to you and I, think about it. God says, I'm not going to alter the thing that has gone out of, our, out of my, my mouth. And so we talked about it last week, but bring it back into today. Has God ever made you a promise? Yes? A lot of, oh yeah, I think so. <laughs> yes, he has. Can anybody tell me a promise that God has made you? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Okay? Is he true to that promise? Yes, he is true to that promise. I mean, if he wasn't faithful, you wouldn't really know. I mean, we could say, is God with you right now? And your answer would be, I hope so. <laughs> you know, and sometimes we, we talk about that, don't you? We, we talk about that, well, I hope so. And you go, what do you mean you hope so? Do you know so or not? Well, yeah, I guess I know so. Well, then act like it. Is God with you or not? Okay, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is there any other promises? There's some important promises now. Give me one second. I'm back to you, Hunter. What would you say, Matt? Good. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places or mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not true, I would not say so. In, uh, it, see. Uh, and if I go, I shall come again for you. Anyways, that where I am, there may be also. But yes, that he's coming back for us. That he's, he's preparing a dwelling place for us. Again, if he's not faithful, is it true? Not necessarily. You may get down to the end and find out what? Oops, ran out of building material. <laughs> You'll have to go to the lake of fire. What did you say, Hunter? Okay, he who covers his sins shall not prosper. Oh, now we're not making this a promise to me as a good thing. Now we're, he's making a promise to me in that, from my perspective, te- technically it could look like a negative here, right? Because he who covers his sin shall not prosper. That means if I... If I want to cover my sins, if I want to pretend before God that it doesn't really happen, and I don't want to confess my sins, then what's going to happen? I'm not going to get the blessing that he has for me. I'm not going to prosper. Do I believe that's true or not? Oh, no, you're answering for you. 
Uh, the question is, do I believe it or not? Oh, yeah, anyway, it's good. That's right. The, do we believe it, you know? And, and, and individually, that's, I mean, it's a joke, but do you believe that? We may say, yes, we believe that. But individually, do we really believe that? God is faithful. And so as he was faithful to Israel, as he was faithful to David, so he will be faithful to us. Psalm 92. Look at Psalm 92, verse 1 to 6. This is a song for the Shabbat, for the Sabbath day. So since this is our our Sabbath, right? This is a good song for us, right? It is good to give thanks to Yahweh and to sing praise to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, Yahweh, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Yahweh, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know it, nor does a fool understand it. Your faithfulness is, is every morning and every night. That you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Again, as we talked about last week, you didn't wake up this morning and run to the window to see if the sun came up. You didn't stay up all night to make sure the moon was going to continue to, to move in the, the ark in which God has described that it would be. But you knew that it would happen that way because God has declared it to be that way. Psalm 100 is a, a passage that, that we all know but seldom think about a lot. It says, A psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. Why? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting in His faithfulness. That word truth there, again, is the word faithfulness. His faithfulness is to all generations. I am so thankful that God's faithfulness did not end with the nation of Israel. These people who believe in replacement theology, who believe in covenant theology, who believe that that the church is Israel, that, that God has forsaken His covenants with Israel and has placed them upon the church, do not fully understand the ramifications of their own theology. Because if God has altered the thing that has gone out of his mouth, he can what? He can do it again. Not to mention the fact that since he said he had not altered the thing that has gone out of his mouth, now he's a liar. And since God says he's not a liar, he's not like man that he should lie, therefore that part of the scriptures are all gone too. And so now all of a sudden we start doing what? We take the black ink and we start to, to, to scratch out parts of the Bible that... God declares that he's faithful and God declares that he's not a liar because he's not faithful and, he's, and he is a liar if these things are not true. And so you start scratching these things out. And once you start doing that, you might as well scratch out all of his promises. Why? Because if he's not faithful and he's a liar, then you don't really know if those are promises are true anyway. So now you start scratching out all the promises. What do you got left? You ain't got a whole lot of anything left. That's exactly right. And so it's, it is a, a slippery slope when you begin to change what God has declared. God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a man that he should relent. And we should praise him for his faithfulness. Now, not only in our praise then, but also expressing our worship by our, our faith. And you can see, I know that Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the evidence of things... Oh, wait, who was that that was going to tell me that? Was that Sarah? Do you remember what it said? Faith is the... Okay. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. It's the substance of things hoped for. Now, if we understand that, faith is the what? It's the physical thing that ties to the unseeable thing. Okay? And so, I was thinking this morning multiple times of just acts of faith that I performed. And and you performed as well. This morning, um, I had to to stop and and, and get fuel in in my car. Um, And so, I, I stopped at this... This piece of metal that had a, a a hose connected to it, and and I and I after of course punching these buttons and and hearing go beep 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 and, and, and lifting a lever and all that kind of stuff, I, I stuck this thing in my in in my car and I and I pulled a trigger and I and I, and I pushed a little metal 
thing there to hold the trigger up, right? And then, then while, while that thing was just kind of hanging out of my car, I went over and stuck my credit card back in my black book and, and did different things. And then I came back, and by faith, think about this, I believed what? I had gas in my car, that, that there was something in my car that was going to allow it to go on. That when I turned the key, that no longer would the uh, would the the my gauge be down literally on the E, but would be hopefully the other side of it. And see now, before that, I had amazed myself by the faith I had even in the the gauge. See, because when I got in the car, and the the red light was on, saying out of fuel, and the gauge was down there. You know, but yet there was just this little sliver, and I had to go someplace before I got the gas. I, by faith, believed that gauge, that that little sliver that it had just above the the, the very bottom of it, was really what true and accurate. I've been in vehicles that it hasn't been true and accurate that you weren't quite sure. I don't know if you ever been that way. I remember riding with a guy once, and it didn't work, and he misgaged how his fuel mileage, and we kind of stopped going up a hill. And he told me, he said, man, he says, that's a bummer. He says, if we were on the flat, we'd continue to go. That means that he knew where the gas was coming in, but because we'd gone this way, we were so low on it. You know what was on the other side of the hill, don't you? The gas station. Anyways, <laughs> why couldn't we stop at the one down there? <laughs> but faith, faith is a confidence that we have in the dependability, the trustworthiness, the faithfulness of something or, in this situation, Someone. So taking that verse, faith is the evidence of things unseen, it's the substance of things hoped for, fleshing it out, what is it? It's a confidence. It's a confidence that you have in something or in someone that they will do what they said they would do. And that what they said was actually accurate. Do you know when you go and you stop at those metal machines that have the, that rubber hose sticking out of it? that they have those little inspection stickers that are there? Did you ever read them? Did you ever look at it? Do you even know that they were there? It's because every once in a while, the, the state inspector comes through. Or not him himself, but one of his minions, right? And what are they, really, what, what, what are they doing when they come? Making sure that what's accurate? The calibration, the flow of the gasoline, that the, the, the store, the measure is true. That, that actually it is what? Faithful. They're checking on the faithfulness of not only the machine, but also the distributor. Because you can go into those machines and what? Adjust them so that when you think you're getting a gallon because it's telling you you're getting a gallon, that they're really only giving you nine-tenths of a gallon, but they're charging you for a gallon. And yes, that does happen. And yes, that is why the inspectors have to come around because what the Bible talks about, the unjust measures... It's even here in our day, okay? But they come in to check to make sure that these people really are trustworthy and faithful so that you can place your faith in, in their, their machines. Now, in the same light, I want you to think about this. You are a fruit inspector. You are a faithfulness inspector. And you can declare one way or the other about what you believe about the faithfulness, trustworthiness, reliableness, dependability of God. Based upon your attitude and your actions toward Him. How much confidence that you have in Him that he will be true to his word. And that he is true in his words. Turn with me to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, verses 1 to 15. You all know this story very well. It is a story of Abraham. And Yahweh comes to Abraham, and we're told that God tests Abraham. In verse 1, we're told that it came to pass, after these things that God tested Abraham, Abraham, and said to him, 
Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Now take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. Now I ask myself a lot of times, every time I read through this, not just a matter of because I like to sleep in or because I don't like to sleep in, but I take this as a matter of instant obedience. How obedient would I have been? What, I mean, I think there's a reason why we're told that he rose early in the morning. That he didn't just, you know, in the morning, and in the morning when he got up, he took da-da-da-da-da. But they were told that he specifically arose early in the morning to accomplish the task that God had called him to accomplish. What did God ask him to do? Sacrifice his son. The one who he what? Loved. His only son. Remember, we, we just talked about this a little before. The, 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 the Islam would look to Ishmael, okay? but the, the, the son of promise was Isaac. And so he's the one that, that he's been waiting for. And now God tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice him. And, and God says, no, God, you don't understand. You, you clearly have mis, misunderstood your promises to me. I mean, clearly, I know that you are a faithful God, and you wouldn't ask me to do this because you are a faithful God. And so, God, you don't understand. He's my only son. He's the one that I love. He's the one that I've been waiting for. And, God, I can't do that because I know that you've got to be wrong. He doesn't do that, does he? But rather, he, he, he takes God at his word, and he believes in God, and he goes. And as they're traveling, they have the wood, and he tells his, his uh, verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, his servants who were coming with him, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship. And understand yonder, there. see that's in the Bible, that's, that, I, I'm becoming more of a redneck, I'm becoming more southern as we go, and this yonder stuff, it's, it's, it's biblical. And y'all, the y'all is there too. That's, that's in the book of Corinthians, y'all. So y'all and yonder. Anyways, so um, people are making fun of me because I, they say, you're really becoming southern. Because I'm, I'm t- talk, I said, I'm just talking biblical anymore. I don't know. I, I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he says, I get it. That we got a problem. My father, look, here's the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? He's stating the obvious, isn't he? Dad, I mean, I respect you highly. But um, we, we've traveled all this distance to do a sacrifice, and I don't know how to tell you this. I mean, do you ever think about this when you leave your house to go on a trip? It's usually about a half hour down the road, you remember the camera? Or the directions or something else, Right? And some, some husbands are looking at wives, and some are looking at husbands. And anyways, but you, so that tells me that what? You all understand this. You all have gone, gone through this. And now you have in your mind the decision to make, right? Do we what? Do we go back and get it? Because it's not just a half hour to go back and get it. It's an hour, because we're already half hour gone. That means to go back and get it and come back this way, it's at least one hour. Not to mention the time that it takes to go in there. And when I get back to the house, the kids are going to decide it's a potty stop. And so now I've got to stop, and everybody's going to go potty, and somebody wants a drink, and now it's going to be another 45 minutes. And so it's an hour and 45-minute delay just to go back. Well, here they've already traveled a couple days. And Isaac turns to Dad and says, Dad, I don't know how to tell you this, but we forgot something. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham turns to his, his son and says what? God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself. What a statement of faith. A statement of faith in the faithfulness, trustworthiness, the reliability, the dependability of God. God will provide it. Though you don't see it, son, it will come to pass. And in Abraham's mind, he's thinking what? Even if you're it. And so they go up into the mountain, and in verse, um, he, he, he ties, ties, Isaac, ties Isaac up and is getting ready to slay him. Verse 11, the angel of Yahweh called him from heaven, saying, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. He says, do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram, a ram caught by his horns. And truly, God 
did provide the ram. And I ask myself sometimes, am I willing to step out in true faith? Not just to step out to sacrifice something, but to step out to go someplace where God may have called me to go that it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't make sense. Does God believe, think about this now, because I don't want to leave this passage real quickly. Does God believe in human sacrifice? I mean, if I ask you that straight off the bat, does God believe in human sacrifice? Your answer ultimately, first of all, I mean, forget Jesus for a moment, okay? Okay. But just on a normal plane, when you looked at the law, does God believe in human sacrifice? The answer is no. No. Say again. Jephthah? Oh, yeah, Moloch and Chemosh, where they, they would sacrifice their babies. It was an abomination to God. God said, that's an abomination to me. But God does hold us true to the promises that we make, and that's Jephthah. Okay? But the ultimate human sacrifice, quote-unquote, was not necessarily just a human sacrifice. It was, a, it was a heavenly sacrifice. See, a human sacrifice by itself is still what? It, it falls short. That's right. It's sinful. But the sacrifice of Christ was the perfect sacrifice because it wasn't just a human sacrifice. It was the blend of humanity and deity. That he who was God came into the world to die for us. Now, so stating all that, if then I'm Abraham, and God comes to me and says, I want you to take Andrew out into the woods, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. I mean, think about it now. Bring it into today's, okay? Put, it, put your kid there. Put somebody you know there. Okay? That's what happened to Abraham. God came to Abraham and said, I want you to take your flesh and blood. I want you to take this little guy that you kissed last night. I want you to take this little guy that you've been playing with. This little one that you've been training. And I want you to go kill him. To sacrifice him. And Abraham had to make a decision. He had a crisis of faith. Did he really believe God would be trustworthy worthy of trust to the covenant and the promise that he had made to him that in Isaac the blessings would come. Do you understand? Has God ever challenged you in your life to step out beyond what you understand and what you may actually think is right? Because sometimes we discover things not understanding. In Psalm 78, turn to Psalm 78. We read of God's working as well throughout the nation of Israel. In Psalm 78, beginning of verse 18, we read, I'm going to start at verse 17. But they sinned even more against God by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. And they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? What did they ask? Go ahead, say it. Can he provide for us? But let's use the context we're in. Is God really able or is he trustworthy? I mean, is is God trustworthy? Is God reliable? Is God dependable to take care of us? Shouldn't I, I might have to be able to, have to pull myself up by my own bootstraps here. It, 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 can God really provide for me? Verse 20, behold, he struck the rocks so the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give us bread also? <laughs> can he provide meat for his people? Even though we know what God has done, that, that out of a, a dry rock, God made water to gush. Is he faithful to do this? Therefore, the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they did not, what? Believe. They didn't believe. They had no faith in the trustworthy reliableness of God. 
because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna on them to eat and gave them the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He also rained meat on them like dust, feathered fowl like the, the sand of the seas. And he let them fall into the midst of the camp, all around their dwellings, so they ate and were well filled. For he gave them their own desire. They were not deprived of their craving. But while their food was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck down the choice of men of Israel. In spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. Therefore their days he consumed in futility and their years in fear. When he slew them, they sought him, and they returned and sought earnestly for God. Then they remembered God was their rock, and the Most High God was their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast, faithful with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion and faithfulness, forgave their iniquity. Now, we're told that even while we are faithless, God remains faithful. God had made a covenant with Israel. God had said He would lead Israel into the land. And, and, and He leads them through the Red Sea. And then they watch the entire Egyptian army be buried in the water. They see the waters of Merah turn from bitter to sweet. They watch the water gush out of the rock. And yet, they struggle with unbelief, with a lack of faith in the trustworthiness of God. Not just in, the, I think, the ability and the prowess of God, but I honestly think it's in the faithfulness of God. That God will be true to his word, that God will carry him into the land like he said he would. What about you? What about me? Have we seen the wondrous works of God? Have we seen what God has done in our lives, not just in the life of Israel? But has God done anything in your life? And how easy it is for us to what? Forget or choose to forget, choose to ignore, to have a lack of faith in the dependability, reliability, trustworthiness, and faithfulness of God. Because when I begin to worry, I, say, I tell God what? I don't trust you. Yeah. I don't think you're really going to be true to your word. When I, when I, Hunter, go back to what you said, when I walk in sin and unrepentantly, when I turn my face away from God and pretend like he's grandpa, sitting on the easy chair winking at me, then what I say is, I don't believe you, God, that you really are going to be trustworthy and faithful and reliable and dependable to spank me like you said you would. And we talked about that last week, remember, with the the discipline of God to his children. And so as we see the children of Israel in unbelief through all that, God is still what? Faithful. God is still faithful. Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. Turn there with me. Again, a passage that you all are going to know quite well. This is the story of, of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And look at chapter 3 as these three friends of Daniel stand before the most powerful man in the earth, the king of kings, Nebuchadnezzar. And this is after Nebuchadnezzar had made that that statue of gold and and had his entire nation bow and worship at this statue of gold. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael would not. 
Nebuchadnezzar, and so it was told that to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar came to them in verse 14 of chapter 3 of Daniel. It says, Nebuchadnezzar spake, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, nor worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and the symphony, with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? In other words, what? I'm, I'm more powerful than any God you can imagine. I'm bigger than, you know, when, when Veggie Teal says God is bigger than a boogeyman. Well, guess what? I'm bigger than a boogeyman too, and, and I'm bigger than your God, right? And so what God is there that's going to be able to deliver you out of my hand? The answer is, for him, from his perspective, no God. And so verse 16 Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Now stop for a moment. Think about it. We have no need to answer you in this matter. Why? Say again, Hunter. You're so messed up I don't need to talk to you. No, I think they're going to be a little more respectful than this. I think our testimony stands before on its own. You know what our answer is going to be. You know the way we have lived before. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hanani, Azariah, and Mishael, they are who? Do you remember who these guys are right now? They're not just counselors and advisors. These are the governors of the province of Babylon. Remember when they were the counselors, and they were, they were, they were newbies, along with Daniel, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar had that, that dream, and he wanted somebody to, to decipher the dream for him, and and the magicians that he had at the time, they said, what? Well, we can't do that. Nobody's ever asked anybody to do that before. You tell us the dream, and we'll tell you an interpretation. Well, the interpretation, but just an interpretation. It really doesn't matter when you give the interpretation, because nobody really knows if it's true or not, right? Until later on, whether it happens or not. And so, like these horoscopes and everything else, we'll give you a generic interpretation, and you think it came about. Okay? So, but Nebuchadnezzar says, no, no. I want to know if you guys really know what you're talking about. I want you to tell me what I dreamed. And he said, well, you can't do that. I mean, nobody's ever done that. You can't do that to us. And he says, oh, yes, I can. I'd have. And if you don't give it to me by tomorrow, you're dead. So he goes killing them all, right? Daniel finds out about it. Daniel says, give me one day. Now, talking about another act of faith here, right, before the faithfulness of God, you give me one day, and I'll go before God. Right? And so when he was able to, to give it, Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel, and he promotes these three friends of Daniel's as well. And they become the rulers of the of the province of Babylon. Does anybody know where Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was? In Babylon. The province of Babylon. So I think that Nebuchadnezzar knows these three guys pretty well. I think he knows their testimony pretty well. And so they stand before him and they say, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom... In other words, but if it's the case that we have to answer, okay? If that is the case... Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Boil all that down. What did they just tell Nebuchadnezzar? We have faith in our God. We have faith in the reliability, the dependability, and the trustworthiness of our God whether we live or die. Because God will deliver us one way or the other. Just as Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I know that this is going to work out to my deliverance one way or the other. Either I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be with Christ or I'm going to be set free from these bonds and I'm going to come back and minister to you. What about you if you were in that situation? the dependability, the reliability, the faithfulness of God. You as his servant, do you trust in God to that extent? Finally, the consideration of God's faithfulness should provoke us in our desire to reflect him. First of all, in our words. In our words, we need to be faithful. Just as God is faithful in what he says, we need to be faithful in what we say. Proverbs 14.5 says, A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. Note there is no gray area here. 
A true witness, a faithful witness, does not what? Does not lie. But a false witness will. If we each were placed on the scale of truthfulness, how many of us could stand? But that's the mark that we need to, to seek. That in everything, everything we say, that everything we say is true. A true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. I liken this to salvation as well. I mean, I, I, it's an application of it. It's not referring necessarily to eternal, eternal salvation right here, but think about this. I mean, as we pulled out that article um, about the, the blending together of the religions and stuff, just what an incredible, true witness delivers souls. Do you know how someone is going to be saved? By hearing what? The truth. The truth. I mean, sometimes we're what? We're afraid to tell them the truth. Why? Well, sometimes it hurts. It might hurt them. But it may hurt me. How? Rejection. They may like you. Eventually, they may kill you. That's exactly right. Okay? And so, I think, oh, well, then I, I what? I shade the truth just a little bit. But I'm not delivering their soul at all. He who speaks the truth declares righteousness, but a false witness, deceit. James 1, 25 says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer of the word, he's like a man who beholds his face in the mirror. He beholds himself and goes his way, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. But the point there is that what? You are deceiving yourself because you've looked at what? Truth. And then you have mired it. You have twisted it to fit for you. He who speaks the truth declares righteousness, but a false witness, deceit. Lying lips are what? An abomination to the Lord. One of the things that the Lord has really impressed upon my mind for Bob, for Bob, and that is that I have got to seek to do what is right, not because I want to do what is right. Because there are too many times when I don't want to do what's right. And so therefore, what happens? I, I don't do it. Right, I compromise. Because what? Because I don't want to do it. This is all about Bob. And, and so... You know, for example, and I tell people like with alcoholism, okay, you're, an alcoholic is only um, freed from his alcoholism as long as what? He sticks to the to the to the to the end, right? Well, the problem is that many times an alcoholic still likes the taste of alcohol and still likes the the buzz that he had in between. What he doesn't like is what the after effects, right? And so what happens? You do what? You ignore the, the after effects. And so the, the getting rid of the alcohol is not for God and is not for others. It's all about me because I didn't like the after effects. And so all i got to do is ignore the after effects and I can just what? Do. I go back and do it myself. And again, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school with the, the fact of when you sin, does it make you feel ucky? before God. And do you like that feeling? Do you like how it feels to be abominable? And so here we're told lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. Lying lips are an abomination, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. So, does God delight in you this morning? Or are you a stench in his nostrils?
how much untruth makes something not true? And we talked about just one little bit. It's that, that, that big omelet, remember, that I talk about different times, you know, got a whole crowd coming over for a care group tonight, and I'm going to make a bunch of scrambled eggs, going to take me 60, 60 eggs, and I throw in that 59th egg, and it's green. And they go, ah, no one's ever going to know, and I just blend it all up. But, but one of my kids saw me, they didn't let me know, and so as care group comes in, and they go walking in and say, Dad, you tell them about that rotten egg I got thrown in there? <laughs> shh, shh. Now, how many of you are going to be eating my, my scrambled eggs tonight? Why? It was only one out of 60. It was only one sixtieth bad. What if it was one hundredth bad? What if it was a hundred eggs and only one was bad? At what point would you say, oh, okay, I'll eat it now? And yet we expect God to, to deal with us. Well, it, it was 33% truth. Is there a problem with that? I mean, it's like um, Oleo anymore. You know, it's, it's oil and and whipped air. <laughs> there ain't nothing real in it. And, uh, and yet we buy it. And, th- and they have the audacity to say, um, I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> Read the ingredients. Yes, you can. Anyways. <laughs> These six things are the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. Now, look at these seven things. Okay, A proud look. What's number two? A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to running evil a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, at the minimum, there are literally two of the seven that are lying. Isn't that incredible? But what about the sowing discord? How is sowing discord usually done? By telling lies. I, and I, I could probably stretch here even talking about this devising wicked plans or running to evil. Okay. Anyways, the point is, do you get it? What God thinks about telling lies, about being faithful in what you say, that when my boys, when my girls, when you say something to me, that I can take it to the bank. I'm not sure about Ben anymore. We, we, we were at the house the other day having hamburgers, and, and Ben told me what, Ben? It's not blood. That's not blood, and he's standing by it. I still haven't had this debate yet. I'm going to get two biology people together here and have this debate on, on what that red fluid inside that meat is. Anyways, and so, and so I, he said, you don't believe me? And I go, well, yes, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, now I'm struggling here because all my life I have been led to believe what? That's blood. And now i got a guy who knows what he's talking about tells me that that really isn't blood. That's what? Tell me, tell me again. Interstitial fluid. Interstitial. Okay, wait, 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 let's not get into the debate right now. Anyways, okay. But uh, now I, I sit there and I go, wow, this is incredible. Now I gotta, I, I've got this big debate in my, my brain here because Ben has really never what? Lied to me that, that I know of. That I know of, right, that I know of. Liz has probably beat you up numerous times after you left. But anyways, but uh, that I know of, Ben is, and so to me, Ben is, is trustworthy. Do you get it? So when Ben tells me this, in all my life, I have seen the red coming out, and I've squished the meat and waiting for what? For it to be clear, so the blood is what? The blood is gone. Okay, this is how Bob looks at this stuff. And I got a guy standing there saying, well, you know, Bob, this is not really blood. And I go, you know, it's like that thing we talked about last week about uh, the Star Trek and, and mud. And so, you know, mud doesn't lie. I'm lying right now. And now you know, this is blood. No, it's not blood. It's blood, but it's not blood. And now I'm going through this whole thing. So now I've got to make a decision, because Ben's working with me for a couple days this week. Is he trustworthy? Is he reliable? And, I mean, can I, can, I, can I tell him to go do something, and he's going to do it? I mean, it's this blood thing. Anyways, but we laugh about it, but seriously, we should be just like God in that. You should be able to take it to the bank. And you know, for preachers, right, one of the jokes about, you know, and why I come outside the pulpit, right, what's the joke, as you know? I, I stand, when I stand behind the pulpit, I'm what? I, I'm speaking the truth. I'm declaring God's word. But that's why I come outside the, the side of the pulpit, so that I can say whatever I want. <laughs> and so, but, but people joke about preachers that way, about doing what? Stretching the, the truth, the hyperboles, the, you know, for the, for the examples. And it shouldn't be that case. Do you, do you understand? No matter who it is, when they speak, you should be able to believe 
what they're saying. Are you trustworthy? Are you trustworthy not only in what you say, but to what you say? If you say something, can people take it to the bank that you will do it? That you will perform what you say you're going to perform? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 to 20, Let's turn there with me. I thought I had that there. Yeah, I do. It says, Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things that I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among us by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. And so what's the point? The point is, when you say something, it should be yes or no. You are going to accomplish it or you're not. And we've talked about this in the past. So if my kids ask me, Dad, can we do this this afternoon? Many times I'm going to say what? I don't know. Ask me this afternoon. Because if I tell them we're going to do it this afternoon, what did I just do? I made a promise. I put, I, I, I put my word to it. And so, I, I don't want to have to continually alter the thing that's gone out of my mouth. Your children will become despondent when you do that. In Matthew 5, 33-37, let me read that to you. It says, Again, you have heard that it said of those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, Do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one here white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. You need to be faithful to what you say as well. And then finally, um, as God was faithful in his relationships, we need to be faithful in our relationships, first of all, in our relationship with God. And so you can look at these passages later, but in Second Chronicles we read about Hezekiah, and we're, we're told in Second Chronicles 31, uh, beginning of verse 20, it says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and what he did was good and right before, True before Yahweh is God in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment to seek his God, he did with all of his heart, and so he prospered. In beginning of verse chapter 32, it says, In these deeds of faithfulness, second Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified city. So after, after Hezekiah had done all these deeds of righteousness and faithfulness, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, comes in to begin sieging the land. Now, this is important, because God, Hezekiah was what? Was faithful. God still allowed Judah to be, to be punished for their sin, but Hezekiah, even in the midst of it all, was what? Was, was faithful. He was faithful in his relationships with God. Daniel chapter 6, verses 3 to 5, and then verse 23, is the passage where, where Daniel, um, in the lion's den, does anybody know why Daniel was thrown in the lion's den? But he prayed three times a day, yes, but bigger picture, because he was what? He was faithful to God. He believed in the faithfulness of God, and so he was faithful to God. And so when he was told that he couldn't pray to anybody but Darius, he said, that's not going to happen that way. And he went before the open window, wasn't worrying about people seeing him, and he did what he knew God wanted him to do. And Darius was cut to his own heart because he realized how he'd been set up. And he, and he says to Daniel, as he throws, has him thrown in the lion, he says, may your God, deliver, whom you believe, deliver you. And he comes the next morning crying and says, God, or Daniel, was your God able to deliver you? And Daniel says, my God is faithful. My God was able because he found me to be faithful. Matthew 24, as well as Matthew 25, are the passages talking about the end times when Jesus says about coming again and finding the servant doing what he was expected to do. And so the first servant didn't do that. The, the, the master was a long time coming, and so he went and began to beat the servants, and he began to do whatever he wanted to, and then all of a sudden what happened? The master showed up. And so Jesus challenges us and commands us that as we move toward these end times and as we look out there, to be faithful, to be faithful, to be faithful, because you don't know the day or the hour that He is coming. And so even if you're faithful for no other reason, you need to remember that, that He's coming again, and He's going to hold you accountable to whether you're faithful or not. And so Matthew 25 talks about the one who was given the, the, the talents. 
and how he invested it. He was told to go out and invest it. And so they all invested it, whether a little bit, a little bit, a lot, a lot, until there came the one who only got the one, and he did what? He buried it. He hid it. He wasn't faithful. And so to each of the other servants, they were called what? My good and faithful servant. Are you a good and faithful servant? And in Luke chapter 16, the same story there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, we're told to be found faithful stewards of God's words. It is, account, it is to be found in a steward that he be found faithful. To be found faithful. Are you a faithful steward of God's word? Are you spending time in God's word, learning it? It's kind of like a business. The quilt business. I'm, I'm going to pick on you, Melanie, okay? If Steve was here, I'd pick on Steve. But since I was just here yesterday, I'm thinking about the quilt business. How much of the quilting business did you know before you got into, involved into it? Not a whole lot. It was just kind of opened up and thrown in your lap, right? How much study? How much? How much has, has Steve in you probably uh, researched the quilt business and learned now? A lot, a lot. If you're going to get into the business to, 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 to do something, you have to do what? You have to learn it. I mean, I know that. I mean, I with this home maintenance and repair and improvement business. I mean, I get jobs and you know, and I, don't, I haven't got a clue. I never did it before. So I spend hours talking to people and researching and finding out how am I supposed to do this so I can do it right and I can make it profitable. So what about your relationship with God? What about in his word? How faithful are you as a steward of God's word? How much time do you spend into it? How much do you memorize it so you can learn it, so you can share it with others, so that you can be ready to give an account for the hope that's within you? And finally, in our relationship with others, we're told open rebuke is better than love, carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Second Kings 12, 11 to 15. Then he gave money, um, which had been apportioned into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to carpenters and builders who worked in the house of Yahweh, and to masons and stonecutters for buying timber to hewn stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord, and for all that was paid out to repair the temple, however, there were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkle bowls, trumpets, any articles of gold or silver from the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. But they gave that to the workmen, and they repaired to the house of the Lord with it. Verse 15, Moreover, they did not require an account from them, from the men, into whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to the workmen, for they dealt what? Faithfully. They gave him all this money that was being brought in from the entire nation to do the work of the Lord in the house of God. But they didn't make them give an account because they knew that they were what? Faithful men. Faithful men. Like cold of snow in a time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. They can trust him. They can put a message, give a message to him. And they know it's going to be accomplished. And then finally, I think one of the key passages is on true discipleship. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard among me, among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The whole goal of me teaching you is that you will turn around and do what? Teach others. That's the whole purpose of discipleship. It's not just to make a bunch of bumps on the logs. How faithful are you in your relationship with God and in your relationship to others? God is faithful in his words. What about you? Are you trustworthy in what you say and to what you say? God will not break nor alter the promises that he makes. What about you? What about me? As children of God, we need to be examples of trustworthiness and faithfulness. Where would your footprints lead? As your children come in behind you, as your neighbors look to you, as your grandchildren look at you, as those who work with you look at your life, and if they followed in your footprints, if they followed in your steps, where would they, where would they lead? Where would they wind up? Would they come to the beach? Would they come to the ocean? Would they be invited to have the relationship with God that you have? 
Or would your footprints lead someplace else other than God? We want to close with the song, Find Us Faithful. It is in your, your bulletin on an insert. And uh, 